Welcome to another episode of Fars and Friends. I'm here uh, joined with our community members. Thank you all very much for joining. In the comments section, please do let us know if you can hear us okay, if you can see us okay. Uh, just drop a quick comment. Also, let us know where you're from. Um, but yeah, thank you all very much. This is our sixth uh, community uh, installment that we've had. And I'm super excited to get back with the group. I've been traveling a little bit as of late. So uh, I finally have a stretch of like two months where I can sit down and do these uh, in succession. So I'm very excited to get back into it. Um, so we'll go ahead and, and get started with our topics. Um, we'll have uh, Andreas go first. And so if, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself real quick and then kick us off with the first topic. And then as we go around the horn, we'll do quick intros and we'll take it from there. So let's go ahead and get started. Great, thanks, Fassad. Um, it's yeah, it's great to be back uh, back on your show. Thank you very much. And um, yeah, my name's Andreas. Uh, I live in South Africa. Uh, I'm an aerospace engineer by by training, hence all the rockets and all that, which is partly what got me into Tesla. I've been following Tesla since about 2012, and um, was a relatively early investor. Um, it's been, I mean, I love the community. I love what you're doing for side and, and, uh, you know, it's great to be part of these events and uh, yeah, I'll jump straight into the first topic, which, um, is something that I've been wondering. I mean, it's more an entertaining thought exercise, but it's, it's really around would Elon be a good leader if he was leading a company that isn't, um, as mission driven as the companies are that he leads. So, so uh, obviously it's obvious that um, the, the missions he has are audacious and uh, philanthropic in nature. And those allow, uh, you know, really rally the, uh, to, to, to do good and to, you know, do the extra hours and, and be super committed. But with that in mind, I, I think as a leader, he's extremely tough. I think we know that. And, there's probably a very high degree of resiliency that one needs to 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 work with him. We know he goes through executives um, quite quite frequently, and yeah, I thought it would be an interesting thought exercise to consider whether if he ran a normal company, would he be successful? Uh, or and and if he didn't have that very powerful mission backing him, uh, would it would it be enough for him to 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 be successful? So I'd I'd be interested to to get your thoughts on that. That's a fascinating question. Who wants to go first? It's just so weird to think about like what, like him running like a, a a pet store or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I think that would affect. I think that would affect the way he behaves as well. Like, I don't think he'd be mm -hmm. sleeping at the sleeping at the factory or whatever, you know, if, if it was just a, a pet store. Um, I mean, unless he really, really loves pets as much as he loves, um, you know, expanding the light of consciousness. But um, I don't know. It's weird to think about. Yeah, I think there's like a couple of different variables that you can think of that are independent and you can like dial them up more or less. Um, like there's the internal drive. I think that part of who Elon is, is just that extremely internally driven. And that is definitely tied to those missions. Um, so if you dialed back the compelling nature of the missions that he's serving, you know, would he have that same amount of drive? I, my read on him is that 
he has that internal drive and that's part of why he has to have such a compelling mission is because it doesn't feel like the work is worth it unless it's really doing something meaningful. So I don't know that those two things can be decoupled for him. Um, and then, yeah, like if he was doing something, like if he had the amount of drive, passion, and zeal that he has for the companies that he runs and he was doing something that was less mission-oriented that, um, you know, that mission inspired the troops to be all in with him, I don't think that would be a recipe for success. You know, if he was running a pet store the way that he runs Tesla, then, you know, I think it would be mass mutiny for the majority of the of his staff and it might be hard for him to keep people. Um, and so, yeah, that, I think that drive is very important to being able to sufficiently motivate the people around him to continue going at the pace and, um, with the level of sense of urgency, um, that he currently has. So I, I mean, I almost feel like it would be, I can't imagine a world where, He's not doing something as important as he's doing. Like there's just holes in the holes in the secret sauce that start to fall apart. So I, I personally, I don't think that it would work. Yeah, yeah. I also want to say like like the reason it's important for him to be motivated by the mission is because that kind of it when he's when he's excited about it and he's working his hardest, then it inspires his employees to follow follow his mm -hmm. lead. So. Yeah. What what's interesting there is um and part of the reason why I'm asking and, and that that those are good points. I, I really like your 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 take on this Hans. <laughs> Excuse me, is um it, the the question is how, how does this apply to other leaders? Because I do think mm -hmm. he has optimized um he, he's optimized his drive and his style for for the companies that he works for, right? It's, it's a perfect mm -hmm. match. And, and I agree, I don't think he would be successful necessarily outside of such compelling mission companies. And and the question is, do do, do other people, do we as leaders kind of bring our leadership style and does it fit within the environment and context that, that we're operating in, right? And, and I think mm -hmm. if we look at history, like during World War II, Winston Churchill was not necessarily a great prime minister, but when, well, if it wasn't for, for, for World War II and the way he, he led during that time, right? Mm -hmm. He was kind of optimal as a, as a wartime prime minister. And, you know, I often bring it to myself, like, under what circumstances can I be a better leader given my personality and how I work? And, yeah, I'm just kind of using Elon Musk's context to try and, and, and uh, contrast the two, right? And, mm -hmm. and I certainly think for myself that th there are changes I could make in terms of the context I operate in that would make me more effective in, in, in that respect. I don't know, what are your thoughts, Fazad? Yeah, I mean, I think, I really think the, the mission being coupled with the fact, w with how, um, hard he works is 100% accurate. And I can tell you for a fact that if we didn't have that mission uh, to work towards in Tesla, I don't think I would have lasted four years. I would have said, this is crazy. You know, this is like, mm -hmm. how you expect me to do this much for what, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know? So I think, I think having that end goal 
that that really overarching fundamental world changing thing that you're working towards mm-hmm. is extremely important when you're asking your teams to work as hard as they do you know and so and so and and we've i don't know, can't remember if we've talked about this before but th- this is sort of like my my mind initial, initial, like immediately goes to okay cool how many companies exist that you'd be able to do that with you know mm-hmm. like like yeah. there's only a limited number of and maybe this is a good thought exercise along the lines that we're talking about here. Like, like what, like Tesla is a, is a really good example of, of doing this. And, um, you could have even Twitter is in some ways you can make the argument that it's also sort of mm-hmm. along those lines. Cause you're protecting the fabric of democracy. Right. But I'm curious, like, um, like how many, how many companies exist that would be able to leverage that sort of, um, uh, demand or that it would be leveraged sort of the, the de- demanding culture to really get to where you need to go uh, from a, from a mission perspective. Um, and, and what does it take to do that? Or like, what does it take to get there? So mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it, I have a really hard time. I think, I think Mike's example of the pet store thing was like, I literally started laughing. I'm like, yeah, but you're, you're hundred percent right. You're hundred percent right. Like yeah. there's no way I, I would have, I, I personally would have, would have been able to work at a pet store where Elon is, you know, and what's funny is that I worked at a pet food distributor, you know, and I couldn't get up and, and be nearly as motivated at, at Phillips, great company, great leadership. But if they're asking me to work mm-hmm. 16, 18 hour days and doing everything under the sun, I'd be like, for what? <laughs> for to, to, to ship pet food faster yeah. to stores? Okay. <laughs> I don't know if that's worth it, you know? So, um, it's it's fascinating. It's really it's really a fascinating way of thinking about it, and and also like I think it speaks more broadly to to um, like the state of I feel like and I'm trying to think up think about this uh, like properly. Um, is there is there a reason why work culture in certain countries like I use the United States for example? And I don't know if I don't know if uh, folks from the United States experienced this, and feel free to drop it in the comments. There's like this thing about corporate America that exists, right? Corporate America, which is nine to five, you go in, you do as little as you can to make whatever you, you need to make happen, happen. And then you go home and then you're like, well, thank goodness I got paid. Uh, I can go do my stuff now, right? So, and then how much of that correlates with the lack of mission-driven companies that do demand so much, but is that why People that work at Tesla and these other companies, uh, far and away, are seem to be not just um, uh, like like they have more to, I guess, live for or work for, but but it's they're working for something important. And I and I wonder how much of that lack of mission driven culture is really what plagues the states in a way when it comes to that sort of culture. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's like, mm-hmm. I, th- I think about that a lot. I don't know, I don't know what you guys think about that, but. I, I think there's two, two things I'd, I'd like to say there, uh, Fazad. I think the, the one is, I mean, I often question to what extent are you in a company where it does not seem as mission driven, but the, the truth is, and, and we resign ourselves that it's due to the nature of the company or the industry. But the truth is there's significant opportunity to think bigger and elevate the purpose of that mm-hmm. company. And I think the example there is Twitter, right? Twitter could be seen as mm. a waste of time, mm-hmm. a social media platform that chows, eats people's time, and, and that's that. Um, 
but Elon's taken it and as you said, it's, it's made it like potentially super mission driven. It's like protecting the fabric of democracy and free speech. Like and mm. all of a sudden something that was seen as as trivial can is is extremely uh, compelling uh, as a mission. Mm -hmm. and, and, the, and the question is, but but it, you've got to be bold. And I think there's a lot of execution that needs to happen to do to, to make that transformation. And uh, I think in many cases, like even within a pet store context, and, and perhaps your mm -hmm. example Mike, is quite apt, like I'm thinking if Elon Musk was responsible for a pet store, he would be a dismal leader. But chances are he might reposition mm. the, the, the purpose somehow and elevate mm -hmm. it multiple times and still and, and make it compelling in that context, right? Um, and, and, and I suppose that's what I'm trying to find inspiration from because, we, you know, we're all inspired by what SpaceX and Tesla and Neuralink are doing, but we can't all necessarily be working there, right? And we mm -hmm. try and... But to what extent can we extract those principles and bring them to our own context and say, let's let's elevate our missions and what we're doing within the context of where we are? So here's a fun thought exercise. How would you elevate the mission of a pet store? What what I've been thinking about that for the last couple of minutes. And I think <laughs> um, I think what if you said something like we want to our mission is to is to decrease the cost of owning pets, therefore, so that people who can't quite afford pets can now afford to have this wonderful pet in their life, and 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 think of the joy that would be that would enter their life to thousands or millions of people uh, if we can only reduce the costs of and and you know get these supplies to people for cheaper. Mm -hmm. Does anybody else want to give this a shot? Like like having worked at the at the at the pet <laughs> distributor. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give you a take. So, so yeah. I think if, if Elon had to get into pet stores, he would be thinking um, in a world where automation is going to take over because of the Tesla bot, people are going to get bored and pets are going to become the center of companionship. And therefore, mm. a pet store will need to expand to take care of pets and animals as first-class citizens that are equally as important as human beings. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, and it has to be connected to, yeah, like empowering the world's best companions to, yeah. to make yeah. humanity the best version of yeah. itself. Yeah. Yeah, that's, wow, that's uh, pretty good off the cuff there, Hans, eh? That's really good. <laughs> yeah. It's really but, fascinating. But, but I think that's what I find that yeah. what what makes um, elevating of the vision successful is that you, you need it. It comes with doing multiple things simultaneously, right? It's mm -hmm. it's so. For example, like with with Tesla, Tesla's success. It's it's not just about electric cars. It's about sustainable energy. But sustainable energy is about consumption and production. And that is about superchargers and vehicles, but also mm -hmm. production. And so, so, so it's it's elevating the whole game. Whereas we tend to think of a pet store as a pet store, not not as something that will come with, um, you know, a completely new game like, you know, automation and bots and people needing more companionship. And 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 I think yeah. that's mm -hmm. what we tend to 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 do effectively. Yeah. yeah. 
Can you pull up Edward's comment there? This one? I think, yeah, that's the that's the one. I think this is so true that, I mean, by and large, there are pockets where this is not true, where someone has found a way to exploit, a, you know, an externality or, or do something that's unethical and it's not actually important work that they're making money from. But by and large, the economy is a system for allocating resources that are scarce to produce something useful in the world. And so all work really is important, but we really do have a, a pretty dire lack of leadership who understands how to craft a narrative to connect people to the importance of what it is that they're doing. And you know that's one of the reasons that I really love Simon Sinek so much is that he really gives a good framework for understanding how to do that um, and that you really have to get people back to the fundamental foundational why behind the thing that is being done. And, um, yeah, and I, like, I empathize. I'm running a cleaning company for several years. This was definitely a challenge to get people to understand why it was important to create clean and healthy living environments, working environments for people. You know, it's really easy to just look at that as an entry-level job or a spare job or not important work. Um, and so it really does take concerted effort on the highest level of leadership within the company to really understand the broader picture and set the context, tell the narrative, and then live that authentically so that when we make decisions, we're making decisions that are aligned with the grander narrative that we're telling. Um, and so, you know, I think that it's very, it's a low hanging fruit that I think the vast majority of companies, organizations um, could definitely benefit from better storytelling from the top uh, to connect people to to what they're doing. Yeah. And, and Hans, I think that that's a very good point that often it's the case that it's not that the work that that what the company is doing isn't meaningful per se. It, it often is, I, I think, that there's a disconnect between the purpose of, of that company's existence and and the execution mm -hmm. and the execution's mediocre. It's, it's, you, you know, we say we stand for something, but we don't actually really believe in it enough to make a difference in, in how we act uh, as a company. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, and in that instance, the, the, the issue is not really the mission per se, it's how we're enacting that mission. And, and I think you're, you're a hundred percent right that it, it's not, the problem's always always not necessarily with the mission. It's, mm -hmm. it's 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 the seriousness within it within which it's taken. Which again, within Elon's mm -hmm. world, that is um, obviously <laughs> taken very seriously. Well, and if I had to take a guess as to why that is, you know, I think that MBAs are trained in recognizing market opportunities and maximizing them, and so they're very numbers oriented. Um, they're very trained in how to extract efficiencies from a system. Um, and so they are responding to market needs very effectively in many cases. But the numbers people are not the story people. And when you have the numbers people occupying such a large proportion of the upper management of the corporate class, they're they're responding and they, they may not understand why they are responding to the world's needs. They're just thinking 
about it from a purely monetary standpoint. And they're not necessarily connected to the mission of why that's important. And they're not understanding that this uh, demand that they're seeing or this opportunity that they're seeing from an economic standpoint is a representation of a more physical or metaphysical need that's there. And um, so it's almost kind of like a mistraining of the people who are doing that resource allocation in being able to connect to that why. Um, I think that's that's the most likely explanation that kind of springs to mind from from just a surface level analysis. Yeah. Real quick, I wanted to post this comment. Uh, yeah, are we not just going to comment on how fire Andreas's setup background is? Who who was responsible again? <laughs> All my wife, hundred percent credit to her. I yeah. just chose the the rockets. That that's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it does look great. So, uh, this is almost a universally true. Anytime there's a cool background setup, it was somebody. It's the yeah, wife. It was the <laughs> wife. Without question. Yes. A hundred percent of the time. Yeah. I, I saw an interest, another interesting comment uh, uh, about um, the, the, the pet store situation, which said that Elon would create a, a translator for pets. Um, I think on a, on a practical level, he he could use Neuralink to create com you know deeper communication between humans and and pets potentially. Whoa! Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'd, I'd uh, yeah, be scared to think of what possibilities that opens up. Wow! I never thought about that. So because like, he has said that we could yeah. communicate telepathically, communicate ideas telepathically, right? And uh, I mean, th th that's a whole interesting world. Um, there's a philosopher. Uh, Slavoj Zizek, and he, he, you know he, he he negates that view because he says fundamentally the, the the process of translating thoughts into words is is the protocol needed to formulate thoughts, right? Um, so so there's a whole idea as to what, but 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 nonetheless, assuming Elon's view is right, where it's it's just a signal. I, I really wonder how, yeah, whether, whether the possibility exists. But anyway, that's a bit of a rabbit hole. So. Yeah, so, it's an interesting one, though, yeah. because, I mean, our our brains have a lot of the same components that the brains of other mammals have. We just have more, you know, we've got a, a much larger neocortex um, or, you know, some some don't even have that. But we still have that animal brain. You know, some people call it the monkey brain. Some people call it the lizard brain, like all of those portions of our neural architecture are still there. And so. You know, if you do have a whole brain interface, there may be a way for you to connect the same portions of what an animal brain feels with the, you know, the mirror image of that that you have as a human. And so it wouldn't be necessarily communicating with words. It might actually be communicating on a more subconscious, um, visceral um, level, more emotional, uh, all down in the limbic system rather than necessarily with formal language. Yeah. I've, I've thought about that a lot where I'm, I'm always curious, like we have two dogs and, you know, I, I had a, you know, I, I've had anxiety for a little while and, and our little Chihuahua is like, he freaks out at everything. There's like, there's like on YouTube videos, there's like this bell sound that goes on. And for some reason, every time he hears it, he like freaks out. He's like, oh my God, the world's ending, you know? Yeah. And he's, I can see him like, he's like, like almost having like an anxiety attack. I'm like, I wonder mm -hmm. how much that he feels is what I feel when I have an anxiety attack. Like how much, like mm -hmm. how much similarity is there? And I wonder if Neuralink could be like that thing that 
allows us to understand or like something like that, that interface. I'm like, like, can you beam that feeling into my brain and then let me know if I would feel that like it's so interesting to think about. Mm -hmm. I never thought about using that uh, interface cross cross animal species, I guess. But it would like, yeah, yikes. That's freaking crazy. Um, there was a comment on here, uh, talking about the mission. Um, I have to say hearing the stories of how mission driven people are at Tesla has inspired me to be more mission driven at my current employer and to push for a better vision mission for, uh, from my management. Um, so, and then Todd, if you don't mind, let us know what industry you're in. I would love to sort of understand where, where, where this applies, but I'm, you know, I think what's interesting here is, you know, how much of the how much of the Tesla, Elon, sort of mission-driven um, culture, how, how is it going to leak into other industries or companies as more people become more aware that this is one of the key reasons why Tesla and, and his companies perform as well as they do, you know? So I found that pretty interesting there. Um, cool. Any, any, any other thoughts around this topic? I guess... The one thing that I would just observe is the differences in the companies that Elon actually runs. Like, you know, the Boring Company is one of Elon's companies, and it seems like it was started more out of annoyance than necessarily conviction. And you can see the way that its performance seems to progress at a much slower rate. Now, I don't know what it's like to work for the Boring Company as opposed to Tesla or SpaceX. Um, but yeah, we can observe just differences in the different entities that he runs, um, and then compare them on a, like a compelling scale with relation to their mission and get somewhat of a sense of the differences that that produces. Okay. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Okay. Um, Mike, did you want to sort of transition us into yours? Uh, I think we may have kicked it off in a way, but I, whatever you want to talk about, go for it. Um, yeah. So, uh, every time Elon does an interview, he, he seems to always cover some of the same points and like, it seems like either a hundred percent or 85% of the interview is the same thing over and over. Um, and I think it's because, you know, he wants he wants people to know um, what the mission's statements are and why it's so important to think about these things and work for them, and uh, maybe apply for to work for one of Elon's companies, um, and and to get the right narrative out about like him as a person, um, kind of straighten things out. Um, but but. Um, but as a Tesla fan, as a as like a technology geek, I like to learn more about like what what kind of you know what's going on under the hood or what kind of future plans do they have or you know kind of I wish interviews would pick his brain on those kind of things um, and yet it rarely happens. I don't know why. Um, so my question was kind of like, um, what what kind of what would be like the the like a really good Elon Musk interview, what it look like and how, how would it happen? Like, obviously the person would have to know a lot about what Elon's companies are doing. Um, 
and and kind of you know to to ask the right kind of questions and also know enough about what Elon responds with so that they could follow up with deeper questions. But um, how do you think that would happen? And is that something that we'll experience in our lifetime? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a unicorn. Uh, yeah, I think um, I think the thing that is missing from a lot of the interviews. I mean, if you really think about it, Elon, like the reason why I got into Tesla in the first place back in 2012 was because there was a lot of Elon content on YouTube. There was a lot of Elon content on YouTube. So I think he spent a lot of time already deep diving and talking about a lot of different topics as they relate to Tesla, SpaceX, and whatever he's thinking about that it, it becomes increasingly more difficult to get new information out of him because of that. Um, so it's almost like a function of the fact that he's just been around a while. Now, as far as figuring out how to get to that next level, I think, I think it's probably going to have to be from somebody that he feels really, really comfortable um, opening, opening up with and I think that the key variable there is I think that his humanity is what often gets lost in this in these interviews. Like I think they're way too technically focused. They're way too business focused. They're way too, you know, like tell us what the future is gonna look like. It's like I think I think there would be a lot more value if somebody like I almost like I think Oprah, I don't freaking know. Like some somebody, like somebody needs to like uh, uh, interview him from a different angle as a human being, not as a as a technical person. I think I think his Rogan interviews are very interesting because of that because he's just talking. I think there is a lot to be learned from that, just from like seeing how he behaves, and there's a lot of uh, things you can sort of. Uh, it becomes like a way for people to relate to him a little bit closer as a human being. I think. Uh, his Lex interviews are good too, but I think those again are technical mm -hmm. at, at a different level. But there's still there's still a lot of a lot of humanity going on. So for me, I, I think people that would really ask him a lot of questions about humanity and how he thinks about, um, I don't know, just try to connect with him. Like like there hasn't been a person yet that just goes like, hey, how how are you doing? Like how are your kids doing? You know what what's going on? How's your mom doing? May like May's doing some stuff. Like like I would love to see him interact in those sort of questions. Like how how does he think about his his mom or whatever? You know, it's just in, it's 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 really interesting for me to sort of um, see him in in that sort of light as more of a human being than just a uh, uh, you know amazing product machine that he is. Right? Uh, what do you guys think? Um. Okay, so 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 from my side, I, the, the question really resonates with me um, that that Mike's put forward, because it yeah I think having followed him for so long, it, like every new interview is often disappointing because you have to go through an hour or whatever and you get one percent new stuff right, and Fasad yeah I agree with your explanation being around he's he's explained it and for those following him it, it's kind of all new I, I feel in fact we could give we could script the answers we we, we know what answer you're giving right yes. um so i i've asked myself the questions well okay so 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 when he feels comfortable it's definitely a different level of interview right um and there's glimpses of that mm -hmm. the, the silicon valley one was definitely one of those the the other one i found was was like that was when he was interviewed by the all in podcast yes jpl yeah. i don't 
this guy saw that one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that, that I found particularly interesting. Excellent. And, and you saw the way he spoke about recession and, and, and so on, right? The, 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 I found what was new content, but also delivered in a more interesting way. Um, and I've often thought about like, okay, like people ask me, well, wouldn't you like to meet Elon Musk and, and, and so on? And it, I don't know. It's not obvious to me that I have a very clear set of questions that I would ask him. Um, I don't know, unless he's comfortable with people, I don't know how well he would expose the human side, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems to me that in most cases, it, it's something he, he steers away from. Uh, it seems like, like he, he, as you say, he gives technical answers to questions, um, but it's not always the interviewer's fault, I think. It's, it's just how he gravitates. Like people will ask how you feel, but he doesn't answer in a feeling way, right? He answers in a kind of factual kind of, the, you, you know, it's an important mission and, and those type of things. So, um, yeah, and maybe it's me being being very techy, but I would gravitate to techy questions, right? Like so, so <laughs> mm-hmm. and and those type of things. But but I do think even on the technical side, there's a host of questions that haven't yet been asked, right? Uh, directly of him, mm-hmm. like, like for example, my my question is, what intuition does he have that makes him feel? FSD hardware three is sufficient to achieve full, full, full self-driving on, on the hardware three side, right? And um, I just wanted, I'd, I'd like to understand his thought process on that. So I'd be super keen if someone like Dave Lee, James Domer, even yes. Rob Mauer interviewed him because I think they would bring in a layer of questions that would go beyond, you know, everything that's mm-hmm. been covered so far. Those are great points. Hans, any thoughts? Yeah, I think it's, I'm a little bit disappointed that he hasn't had an interview yet with either Dave Lee or with uh, Rob Maurer, even though he has mentioned being open to that. But, um, you know, overall, he's, he needs to do what he views as important. I think the other interview that we haven't mentioned today and several, like the All In podcast was probably the best interview recently that he's done with the most new information. But the other one that was interesting was also the Babylon B interview because they were coming from a little bit more orthogonal perspective. Um, It wasn't as much new information and definitely not as good as all in, but that different perspective, I think was definitely helpful in kind of prodding him in different ways than he's normally prodded. And I definitely felt like I got a little bit deeper sense of his philosophical motivations and underpinnings there in that interview. And so kind of on that note, one of the interviewers I think I would actually really enjoy seeing him talk to is Jordan Peterson, who I know they've met. And then through Rogan, um, there's the connection there. And I think that it would be really interesting to have someone like Jordan with a deep psychological understanding interview Elon and try and, um, kind of dig into the psyche that he has. And I think that that might be an, an interesting, a very interesting conversation and interview. Um, but the, yeah. The it, Jordan Peterson angle, Hans, I think you're, you're spot on. And I do think um, Jordan Peterson does want to interview him. He has stated it mm-hmm. before. And there's another connection. He's, uh, um, I think, Jim Keller. Is it Jim Keller, the, the chip designer? Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's his, his brother-in-law, I think, isn't his it? His brother-in-law, exactly. So there's another connection there and, mm. and so on. So 
I'd, I'd love to see that one actually. And I don't know if you guys saw the one with Dan Carlin where they were talking about um, World War Two yeah. uh, aircraft and you know yeah t- how technology yeah that that was also quite an interesting interview in terms of it being different and seeing his thought mm-hmm. process. There was a, a comment that I had highlighted before where um, maybe he's putting a barrier for his personal life. Uh, what do you guys think about that? Is that is that could that be a reason why whenever he gets asked, sort of the the more like like no, I guess not benign, but like more personal question, he immediately like th- thinks about the the more mission driven stuff or the techie stuff. Do you guys think there's a lot of that? And how much of that? Because you know, I've read a lot about how his, uh, you know, his childhood wasn't that great, and you know, he's had some um, hardships in his life, and you know, being the richest mm-hmm. person in the world, and you know, uh, running some of the most famous companies in the world, and the fact that people are coming at you, especially 2017, 18, and 19, where it seemed like the entire world was trying to sink him and his companies. Yeah, maybe he's built an exterior that uh, is kind of like, you know fuck you kind of thing. <laughs> like, I don't really care. Like, I'm sort of hurt by this whole thing. Um, I, wonder if, I, I wonder how much of that also exists mm-hmm. in the fact that maybe it's it's tough to have, uh, like, there aren't more instances of a, of a, um, of there being, like, say, good interviews or interviews that are giving mm-hmm. us uh, new information. I don't know if you guys uh, think that's the case too, but I thought that was an interesting comment. Yeah, I think his Asperger's does make it hard for him to, or just being on the spectrum, whatever uh, whatever form that it actually is, um, I think that makes it difficult for him to be comfortable with an interviewer. So I think that's one barrier to where mm-hmm. a lot of these very rehearsed answers that we hear, I think he has a built up a perception of what the public thinks. And he knows, like, this is the thing that the public doesn't understand that I need to just hammer home. And I think that's the reason that we hear these very mechanical phrases over and over and over again is that, you know, his time on Twitter, he's surveying public sentiment and he's like, this is the thing that people just don't get that's important right now. And so this is what I'm going to say. And then when he's in an interview with someone that either he doesn't trust or he's not comfortable with, these are the, the natural things that come up. And so you have to have someone who's able to connect with him and then draw out something different in order to get past that. Yeah. Any other thoughts, Mike or Andreas? Uh, Well, if you were having a a dinner with him, what would you ask him? Uh, So (laughs) I think... So it, it depends on the setting, right? Like like dinner. Like I would I would ask him a he lot about. He comes over to your house for for a nice my meal. My house. Okay. Yeah. Um, is he drunk yet or no? I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Stone cold too. Excuse me. Ah, <clears throat> COVID. By the way, everybody, I tested for COVID this morning. I'm good. I feel fine. <laughs> uh, it was worse yesterday, but I did I did have a positive test. Whatever. Um. So like I, I I would honestly ask him a lot about how um like how 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 much of the culture at Tesla was premeditated and how much of it was an accident to be honest like how much of that mm-hmm. was just like 
like did were you thinking about building a culture like that at that company or is it just a byproduct of the fact that you and your leadership team are such hard workers like how how help me understand that because that mm-hmm. that is like that is such a fascinating thing for me and how how people it goes back to the thing where i don't know if only the most hardworking people work at tesla or if tesla's mission is so inspiring that it makes anyone who joins the company hardworking like that that is something i've been struggling with for a really long time and i mm-hmm. still don't know which one's the case like are humans inherently extremely hardworking so I'll give you a perfect example. I was in Cancun this past week and uh, we visited Chichen Itza, which is you know one of the new seven wonders in the world. I don't know if they are, that's how they market it, but it was freaking awesome. And there is a square mile um, uh, for our non-imperial, like 1.6 kilometers, square kilometers of a, of a area in Chichen Itza that was, raised by about, uh, I'm going to go back to Imperial, 24 feet, okay? And it was all, uh, what ended up happening is a bunch of people literally laid out uh, a platform over the course of like 100 or 200 years to just raise the ground by 24 feet. And there was a cutout of it. I'll I'll try to see if I can show it on the screen at some point, um, where you could see like, literally it's like these little rocks that they've put together and it's a square mile of just raised floor because they want it to be closer to the sky. And I'm like looking at it, I'm like, what kind of, what the, how do you do this? Now, I'm pretty sure slavery was a big part of it, right? But, but there is a huge hard work variable there that people are working really, 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 really hard to make this happen over a period of time. Now, that's probably within the, the incorrect context, which is like, we're forcing you to work. But regardless, what it told me is that humans have a lot of, uh, they have a high capacity of output. Like there's a lot of output that human beings can put together. And so how much does that mission or that thing that you really believe in need to be, need, needs to be present for you to be a really hard worker? And are the hardest working people that exist today, you know, like say your high potential candidates that go to any company are really, really high output individuals, how much are those people just able to, going back to the mission thing, find that that thing in their brain that tells them I'm working for something bigger than myself, that I'm doing this because it's this important, mm-hmm. right? Um, and like, and again, going back to Tesla, Elon, like, was this how, like how, like, yeah, help me understand this better, you know? That's what I would ask him. I would start with that, and I probably, honestly, I probably like try to crack some jokes and, you know, just be like a person with him and try to like have a good time. But if I'm going to ask him uh, a question, it's, it's really just based around that. Um, yeah, that would be my question. That, that is a great question for that because look, uh, yeah. And I, I have heard that in many respects, because it does feel that again, linking it to, to the first part of the, 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 the discussion, that the culture has formulated, I think, I would hazard a guess that a big part of the culture being what it is, clearly he has a massive part to play, but it is the mission-driven aspect because mm-hmm. I have heard that at least now, many of his executives, their core competence is shielding the people under them from Elon, right? That that he can cause major disruption and they're not all as resilient as they need to be because, and the executives obviously are, and it's a core, it's core skill that the, the, 
the executives mm-hmm. have, which implies to me that the executives have perhaps even a bigger part to play in the culture that, that's formed. Now, obviously, he's chosen them and he's put them in place. But, um, yeah, I think that the, the mission has a big, big part to, 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 to play there. Let me uh, Mike, show this real quick. Go ahead, Hans. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to ask if you have any thoughts, Mike. Go ahead and jump in, and then I, I definitely have a couple of points to to weigh in here as well. I don't know. My my only thought is like, there's you you guys have brought up a lot of good things that I would like to hear, um, and that would be, I mean, that, those are all, those are all good questions, and those would be good a good, a good it would be a great interview to hear those kind of questions asked. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely, I feel like the humanity aspect of Elon is is important because certain people, they'll listen to an interview like that and like a lot of people don't understand the technical stuff or they, they don't really care about it. But when they hear him act like a human and just, and just you know, just share what he feels every day and share what kind mm-hmm. of hardships he's been through or or what kind of worries he has that that are kind of relatable to just everyday human um i think that would build a lot of um uh, a lot of like trust in him in the in the community of just everyone so i think that would that would be yeah. good Hans, let me uh, show this picture real quick, actually, if you don't mind. Just uh, give me one second because I really want to sort of – so so that's that was a cutout at Chichen Itza. So that's that's to the ground, okay? That is um, – a square mile in Chichen Itza was that. It was raised. And I'm like – like literally, I'm, I'm looking at this hole and I'm mind blown. How do you do this? How do you do this? And that's what really made me think about, okay, like human output is ridiculous. And of course, we know the pyramids and we know all that stuff as well that have happened. But like seeing it in person and and like literally thinking about what it would take to do this over the course of God knows how many years and just raising this whole area by 24 feet blew my mind. Anyway, I just wanted to show the the picture. I don't know how hard it is to see it from there, but it was unbelievable. Yeah, it'd be interesting for someone with a calculator to just figure out how many pyramids worth of volume of earth is that square mile? Like, you know, did they move more earth to do that than all of the great pyramids in Egypt? And very well could be. So it's pretty incredible. And one of the things that I was thinking about while both of y'all were talking was, it was actually reminding me of Jordan Peterson again, that he has a program where he gets people to write like, if things were going incredibly well in your life and you could be doing what you want to be doing, what would that be? And so you write that story out, but then he says, okay, now do the flip side. Like if everything goes to crap and your life turns into a living hell, what would that look like? And then he uses the juxtaposition of those two images to really motivate people to get moving in their life and moving in a positive direction. And so whether it was consciously or unconsciously, that seems to be the same formula that Elon has landed on and leverages. It's like, okay, here's something that's really important that we're going to do. And like, if the future was exciting, this is what it would look like. But like, this is not guaranteed. In fact, it looks like it's in major danger. And so like, this is what it will look like, you know, 
humanity could end with a whimper, not a bang. And like, that's a very real threat. And so using the dual positive motivation and then negative motivation is something that has been found to just maximize human energy and output. Um, and that's what he's using and employing in his companies. And I think, you know, by and large, when you look around at people, most people are not even coming close to living at that flow state of contributing to the world at their maximal state. And so anyone who can leverage doing that with a, a group of people can just outperform their competitive or their competitors to an insane degree. And, um, you know, I think that's what we've seen. And then the other thing is once you have that culture going, anyone who's not able to sustain that, they just, the culture won't allow that. And they're immediately rejected from the company. So. There was a uh, comment here I want to highlight um, that was loosely tied to what we we're talking about before. Many people don't view Elon as a person. They view him as a billionaire. Billionaires are not relatable to most people. Um, go ahead. What, what I find fascinating is in every single article, without exception, when he's referred to, he's referred to, interestingly, a South African. He's, they, they, they keep mm -hmm. th that reference, but billionaire without question is, and it's, it's odd, right, that that, that that is just so important to always put in at the forefront. Mm -hmm. Is there, I'm, I'm always curious, like what's the general sense in South Africa for Elon? Like what, what how do people view him generally? Do, do they view him as a, like what, is there any sort of like pride or connection to him at all in any way? It's, it's a hard one to answer Farsad because yeah, it's 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 quite varied. Uh, I, I mean, uh, even until two years ago, I'd say most people didn't know him. Obviously, he's very very well known now, so so, so people n know him. I think he's definitely far less controversial than um, how people see him in the states, uh, w without question. I think people have a more neutral view towards him. Uh, I, I think generally that there's three camps. There's the camp that really knows him, like like we would, or to some extent, and really values what he's doing. This camp that's heard about him and is kind of neutral or, you know, responds to the latest headline fad, whatever it might be, but without a very strong opinion. And I think the third camp feels maybe disappointed that he's not punting South Africa and doing more for South Africa. There's kind of an mm -hmm. expectation that if you're from South Africa, um, you should be doing more for South Africa, right? Um, so I, I, it's not necessarily a big camp, but mm -hmm. those, those are kind of the three the three views. But not very. Po I, I, he's definitely not as polarizing as as he would be in the states, um, and yeah, at, at this stage. Um, but ju just on on the point, I often say, what do people seemingly just looking at Twitter commentary and so on, what do people hate more than a billionaire? And the answer is a billionaire has become a billionaire by doing good, right? <laughs> and and it, 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 and, and, and I, I, I really believe that, that that's true from observing people's behavior. And, and I think the reason for that is, you know, when, someone, when, when people see someone as a billionaire, they, they're like, okay, cool. They, they justify 
we justify let, let's let's become more inclusive we justify who we are and our and and our success or, or success or failure in relation to theirs because at some level we think yeah to to be a billionaire they've they've taken a path that's not righteous and it's not one that I would have taken so 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 then it's okay we can justify that mm-hmm. but if we're faced if we stared in the face by someone who's become a billionaire by actually doing good then then we can't dissociate ourselves right it's it's we don't have an excuse for for being mm-hmm. better versions of ourselves and being more successful as a result and um yeah i i i I think it's one reason that drives such um, negativity and react negative reactions to towards him. That's interesting. So it's literally he's done, he he's done such a good job that he was rewarded by the market, and that's why we hate him so much. It's because he actually not, did not it the only right was way. He rewarded by the yeah, he was rewarded by the market, but but he was rewarded by the market for doing things that serve humanity for the long term, right? Yeah, yeah. He wasn't rewarded by the market by I don't know, selling drugs or, 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 or you know, doing right. something mm-hmm. arbitrary. Yeah. Right. It's so weird, but it's so true. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. can think about it like what is the public perception of Pablo Escobar versus Elon Musk? <laughs> and it certainly seems like there's a lot more Twitter outrage against Elon Musk than <laughs> yeah. Pablo Escobar. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's true. crazy. Wow. That's so true. Yeah, people are more comfortable with the idea that Pablo Escobar became, uh, you know, was was one of the wealthiest people in the world than they are with Elon Musk <laughs> being such, right? Wasn't Al Capone like back in the day like a media darling back in uh, during the prohibition times? I I was uh, watching something about uh, um, him sort of, you know, he he he. Uh, from what I remember, I could be wrong, but I think his growth came from the fact that prohibition was put in place, and then he became a big, uh, a big story because he was just able to, you know, black market alcohol and all that good stuff. So, uh, but he was immediate. He was very open with the media. The media loved him, and or at least they loved running stories about him, and they showed his charitable side and whatever. And you know, I, I think it was pretty well known that he wasn't. Uh, I think he was openly saying that he. Well, anyway, I can't remember. But he was viewed. He was viewed almost like in a, like looking back in time, the media seemed to love him, and it's like that's mm-hmm. such an interesting sort of dynamic where, um, you know, ha- has has the media really changed ever? Has have we always had this dynamic where you're going to have uh, outlets and people who are trying to run the news? They're going to always be more favorable or or kind or or whatever if it's social media or whatever if they're going to be more charitable towards a certain uh person or archetype versus an elon musk which appears to be uh i don't know if, if he's like would you guys say he's a brand new type of person that's reached this sort of level you know and is there any other uh parallels we can draw between him and somebody else in history or do we think that this is a brand new type of person that the media is dealing with and whoever is dealing with, and that is why the dynamics seem so weird and like odd? Like why? Like I, I ask myself all this question all the time. Like how isn't ninety nine percent of the publications like on this guy's train? I I really don't understand it. 
I really don't understand mm -hmm. it. Um, what do you guys think? What about Steve Jobs? Like, was the media hating him? Um, he seemed not to, be to the same degree. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't as polarizing, right? I think he did attract ne negative media attention, but 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 he wasn't as polarizing. Uh, I, I don't think. I, I think it's hard to. Part of the reason it's it's hard to answer that question, Fazad, from the perspective of how much is it that he's a new type of person. Um, yeah, that's, it that. could be as simple as that, right? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> you can't Problem solved. <laughs> it could be as simple as that. Um, and, and, and maybe, yeah, you know, his last comment was with the Silicon Valley guys, I think. He said, you know, we, maybe we should do some media advertising, right? And maybe all these issues will go away in, in a minute. Yeah. Um, but, but, but it's hard to know how much of this is uh, propagated and compounded through the fact that we have far more social media access and he has such a presence in social media versus mm -hmm. the Steve Jobs days where it wasn't as prevalent, right? Um, but also, you know, I don't think he's as impactful as Steve Jobs has been. I mean, obviously, the iPhone's been great and, and amazing, but it's, I, I think, in relation to climate change, sustainable energy, colonizing Mars, mm -hmm. Neuralink, like that's yeah, yeah. completely different level, right? Yeah. So, so there's the, and and there's a lot more interests that he is attacking in in that process. I think that sort of ties into the comment that says uh, Edward he is really disrupting mm -hmm. a lot of people's lives with his success. I mean, I, mean, I, I don't know if disrupting. So, I, I'm guessing this is within the context of folks in the oil company or et cetera, who, whoever are his competitors in this mm -hmm. case, right? Yeah. I think one of the reasons is like, if you just step back and analyze it from a narrative perspective, you know, a lot of the most compelling and interesting shows really depict that inner struggle that people have. You know, if you got Breaking Bad or Sons of Anarchy or these like dark shows where it's really um, gutting out what it means to be human in both the noble sides and the dark sides. And um, that is what draws attention. That's what we as adults find to be interesting. And that's what we focus on. Those are the stories that really, um, compel us or at least fascinate us. And so that's why, you know, someone like an Al Capone or a Pablo Escobar, like these are very, uh, relatable stories, kind of magnified, but relatable and then I think Elon is someone that's very easy to other because whether or not he's a brand new, he's, I would say that he's effectively brand new. Like there are so few of his type that have achieved what he has achieved that they're just, you know, even if you think back to history, it's hard to think of someone who is really in that mold. And so if his intentions are so good and if he's really good at executing on those intentions and for whatever reason we have seen very little of that human struggle side of him it's very easy to be like oh like he's just something else so i mean yeah the other term for him is he's not human he's alien and i think that speaks to that is that people don't relate to him they don't connect to him they don't understand him and that is 
you know, anyone who's other is an easy scapegoat that the media can paint as the source of the problems. Mm. And we've seen that in history over and over and over again. You mentioned his intentions and I thought about um, Hitler and how Hitler had good intentions. You know, he thought he had good intentions, but um, there's this, there's this fear that people have of, of someone just doing whatever they think is right, regardless of what other people, you know, say. Mm-hmm. Um, and Elon has said something like that. He's, he said like, you know, if, if people hate Tesla for, you know, for having full self-driving cars and things like that, even though we're saving lives, they'll still blame us for the lives we, fa- we failed to save, but we're going to keep doing it because it's the right thing. Maybe people have a fear of, of uh, him just having too much power to, to make those kind of calls and decide, oh, we're doing the right thing. So what do you think of that? Yeah, I definitely think that's a danger. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it's a function of the fact that the things he's trying to solve are so fundamental, and so um, um, they t- like they, they're so difficult and important that it's it's going to be impossible to avoid the the fact that there's going to be something. Um, I, I, I'm trying to. I'm having a hard time verbalizing this. Like the full self-driving thing is a perfect example. You know, like it's it's such a big project that yes, there's some risks attached attached to it, but net net, it's going to be very positive for humankind. But because it's outside the control of a human being per se, right? Like the human's not the one controlling it. Mm-hmm. It automatically becomes a scary bad thing because we're not the ones. We we're not controlling our destiny. You know, we're not the ones controlling our destiny. And human beings appear to be very bad at uh, admitting in general that there could be someone or something better at something than they are, you know? And that's the reason why every single driver on the road thinks they're the best driver on the road, <laughs> you know? And, uh, but it's, it's, it's part, it's, it's big, big solutions usually are solving for big problems that introduce risk and uh people view risk uh, i feel like it's just part of human psychology people view risk immediately as a negative regardless of of what that risk looks like within the context of the problem it's trying to solve so as long as you introduce new risks that people aren't used to especially if it's outside of their hands forget mm-hmm. it, it just i think people are just not conditioned to it uh, to understanding why, but I think I think in it and on its own, I think it's pretty amazing that Tesla has like within the context of full self driving has already garnered so much support with zero marketing. Like it's kind of mind blowing if you really think about it, because you, we see how easy it is to attack to attack mm-hmm. it, you know. Yet it's it's they're they're marching along, you know, and, and yeah. it's appears to be a thing that's going to be the the primary player in the market. It's it's pretty mind-blowing. It it is totally mind-blowing. And maybe it is because of their intention, right? Maybe it's not because of how technically good they are, or maybe it is because of the decision that they made, that we'll do this no matter what because it's the right thing. And somehow that permeates through to to those who believe in that, right? And and it's garnering something more than just something that has the potential to be technically 
good. It's it's people believe in in that mission, right? Mm-hmm. Again, it goes back to making it mission orientated. And I, I have a question for you guys on this, since since the the topic's been broached, because it's been it's been really frustrating me as to how Tesla's full self driving is attacked, but. One could equally say, it's just a thought exercise. Every car that's manufactured today without full self-driving kills a certain, well, there's a probability of it killing a certain number of people. So what, what's mm-hmm. the, the, the road death in the U.S. is 34,000 per annum, right? That's like 15 times the number that died in 9-11, right? Global deaths are 1.3 billion. And it, the, the question is, why is there not, not even a question of accountability on the people who manufacture and sell those cars? Mm. Well, why do we just accept that selling cars in their current form that inevitably result in guaranteed deaths um, doesn't, do, doesn't necessitate any form of scrutiny or accountability <laughs> that, that. Call back, call back. Your <laughs> uh, is on a roll here. Um, yeah. so, so, and and just because you're actively trying to improve safety, because that's what you're doing, you're actively trying to make things better. All of a sudden, you're the villain. It, it, it's just uh, it, mentally incongruent for me, right? That you, you you don't, as a minimum, put the same level of responsibility on those selling normal vehicles. Mm-hmm. I think that the pandemic was an example of this, that there's, you know, what is the novel, there's risk on an absolute basis, and then there's what is a, the novel risk. And for whatever reason, we as a human species seem to have developed or evolved this ability to focus on a new risk and disproportionately so. And that was one of the things that I really did kind of struggle with at the beginning of the pandemic is like, why are we taking such drastic measures for something that is such a minor, like overall risk to humanity and the, you know, the overall number of people that will die might actually go down in the pandemic after we've you know, if we're driving less, we're having fewer car accidents, like all the different measures that we were taking might actually reduce the risk of death on a total basis. Um, But we would never, we would never be okay with the level that our lives were disrupted with um, to maintain that. And so we would never reduce the amount of traffic on the roads for any other reason besides this novel risk. So I think that just speaks to, you know, when something new is introduced into the system, that was not a risk that we have already mentally adjusted to and become okay with, then you can have a disproportionate reaction to the novel risk. Yeah. I think, I think it's just a matter of, uh, you know, I think, I think Hans said it perfectly, but People, people have accepted that we are 34,000 people will die in the States every year. People have accepted that 1.3 million people will die globally. And I think the argument becomes, well, at least I was the one in control. You know, I think, I think that's what mm-hmm. it really comes down to from that argument. It's like, well, at least I, I was the one who got myself in that position. And 
because I drive the car. And of course, I would never get into an accident because I'm a good driver. You know, like that's not my problem. I'm going to be fine. I'll be able to avoid mm-hmm. whatever comes at me, right? So I think I think it's it's just a matter of I think it's a question of control. It's a question of um, folks being able to feel comfortable in the fact that they are the ones controlling their destiny, and it's not some sort of foreign AI alien thing that they don't understand that's going to be in control of their lives. Um, and I think it's marketing, and I think it's the fact that the the uh, all these car makers have some sort of ties to the folks that would drive a certain narrative. You know, I think and, and they, that those industries have been around for so long that it's going to be impossible to avoid some sort of relationship, either passive or direct, with the ones that have power to drive narratives. You know, uh, these industries have been entrenched for. 100 years sometimes you know like ford has been around for how long and um yeah it's but but i think i think again i think the fact that tesla is approaching the full self-driving angle so differently from how anybody else would approach it and that it's complete faith in the technology with zero marketing and and having confidence that this will solve itself eventually as far as as far as um the full self-driving tech getting there and the people using it are going to be mind blown and it's going to be a low cost solution to transportation and knowing that that's going to happen. I think that's going to disrupt a lot of that. It's going to be super fascinating to watch when you have this thing that is ultimately built around uh, building trust between the user and the product to such a level that they don't need to tell you through a commercial or through some sort of relationship that this is going to save your life. You'll just know it's going to save your life because you've had a one, like a, like a firsthand experience with the product. Um, and, and I think that might break a lot of what you just described, Andreas. I think it's that is the antidote to that, is like forget playing the old way of, of driving a certain narrative. We're going to break that entirely by creating this brand new relationship between user and product that is uh, 100% driven by the product being uh, as good as humanly possible. And we're not going to tell you it's going to be. You're going to see it with your own two eyes. Um, I could mm-hmm. be wrong, but I think, I think that's the only way you break that sort of uh, thing of, of why there's so much acceptance and, or, or no criticism or very little criticism, really no criticism on, you know, from, from media outlets or whatever that say, well, 1.3 million people die every year from car accidents. That's bad. You know, I think that's the only way you break that wheel. But what do you guys think about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think after Tesla starts licensing its hardware or software, then, then there'll be, and there'll be an opportunity for people to start realizing why isn't every car, you know, doing something like this? Because then it'll be available, and they're just they're just turning it mm-hmm. down for, you know, for silly reasons. So, yeah, yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, I, I mean, what I've distilled from this is again the emphasis that t- Tesla's clearly, you know, if, if if you're looking at how they're doing FSD. It's mission driven. It's to save lives, uh, whereas everyone else is doing it to stay in business. And and mm. 
and you know the, the reason you know this is is because because you can say all right but they, they you know the the, the, cynic, the cynical person will say yeah but tesla's doing it because they want a bigger market share or because it's going to be financially beneficial but l let's analyze that they already have industry leading margins you know highest growth rate d demand constraint uh, supply constraint etc so do they really need to risk their reputation which is what they are doing in terms of how they're going mm -hmm. about fsd and do they need all the stress and hassles coming from media coverage and regulators um, when they are su super successful in terms of their core business they don't it's irrational if you're just focusing around pure commercial success to put things at risk. And, and to me, the only reason you would put things at risk the way they are in terms of reputation is because the mission is more important. If you care about those 34,000 lives, you will want to get FSD out there with urgency, right? It's not a case of, ah, let's, let's just find a bunch of engineers and see how they go and when they get there and it's fine. If they get there, great. If they don't, they are doing this mm -hmm. with urgency and because they genuinely backing the the mission of saving lives, um, and so so I think that is how they got the the, the 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 sort of the early adopter following to the scale that that you alluded to, and yeah, I agree that ultimately the experience as as it gets better, the experience will will just make it a no brainer at that point, and then then it will be clear that everyone else is dangerous, and it it will mm -hmm. it will put things into perspective, right? There was a comment by DRK here, so along the lines of what you're saying, Andres. So, if any maker takes them up on the license of FSD, it will have to be an EV startup. Uh, the incumbent won't touch it. And the last part to me is what's fascinating because, sorry, we're talking about the mission of Tesla is to save lives. It's not monetary driven. But the reason to me that the incumbent won't touch it is because of monetary factors. So to me, it says mm -hmm. they won't touch it because it's not going to be profitable for them because they don't want to spend the money to license this thing and rework their entire tooling. So the monetary aspect is going to prevent incumbents from saving lives. It's, it's insane. It's completely insane. Yeah. It's so backwards. There mm -hmm. needs The consumer needs to put their foot down and say, I'm not buying you know, a Ford or whatever, if they don't, if it doesn't have the top of the line safety systems like Tesla autopilot yeah. stuff. Mm -hmm. like, yeah. But yeah. the public will then, there needs to be a majority of the public that believe that it's safer. I think that's the one mm -hmm. thing that, that Tesla's working on now by getting FSD out there and it becoming public. I mean, I'm fairly confident once it gets out of bed and it becomes public, it becomes very obvious that it's the safest car out there easily. Very easily, you know, and the lowest cost as well. Yeah. You know, but go ahead, Hans. One of the things that, yeah, you're alluded to earlier was just the fact that the, the focus on the product and making the product so good that it speaks for itself and it develops its own reputation organically. I think that is very much at the core of how Elon does business. And I think that when you need marketing or PR. And this is, you know, I know this is a, a controversial topic within the Tesla community that so many people want Elon to have a PR department. And I think that this is the reason that he doesn't have one is he believes that the product should be so compelling and that every ounce of energy should put it should be put into making the product so compelling that it speaks for itself. And that 
anytime we have to go convince people on not the merits of the product um, in customers' hands, then that any goodwill that you garner that way is fragile goodwill when compared to goodwill that is earned by personal hands-on experience with the product itself. And so I think this is why he has been so successful. That's why the early adopters love it so much. And, you know, right or wrong, I think this is why it will be nigh impossible for him to ever reinstate a PR department while he's at the head because it is completely antithetical to this core belief, which is a core part of their success. That, that, that's interesting, Hans. It's, it's like the PR department's a bit like, um, uh, like, like radar was. So, so radar compensated for, uh, mm-hmm. for the f- efficacy of neural net of the, of the vision neural nets. Right. And when they removed, uh, radar, they realized the neural nets weren't as good as, as they thought and uh, um, and therefore had to make them better. And the same thing there mm-hmm. is a PR department can shield you from, uh, you know, really assessing the true value and uh, effectiveness of your product. So, Yeah, that um, it's a crutch yeah. that is going to damage your long-term ability to be successful. Mm. Interesting to think about. There was one comment by Edward here uh, along the lines that we're talking about. Incumbents only act on safety if the regulators force it. That is the lesson of mm-hmm. history. So the seatbelt was a big one too, right? Volvo made yeah. it uh, open source, I think, and uh, they invented it. They opened the licensing, made mm-hmm. it free, and no one put it in their cars really until the government's like, please do this so less people die. <laughs> so mm-hmm. the question becomes when when – would Tesla need to create that sort of relationship with the government to mandate something like FSD for it to become yeah. really truly um, adopted? You know, I don't know if anybody knows. It's not something I've looked at with respect to seatbelts because that's an interesting parallel to look at from the time that they that Volvo introduced them to the time that it took to prove that they saved lives to the time that it became regulation. I, I, I'm super curious as to what those time frames were. Let's um, find out. So Volvo um, introduced the seatbelt. Uh, when did Volvo introduce seatbelt? It would help. I Googled when did Volvo introduce, and I never typed seatbelt. It tells you how uh, sharp I am today. Uh, 1959 is when they introduced the seatbelt. Um, here, let me uh, share my screen, actually, so you guys can see what I'm searching for. So 1959, um, seatbelt was introduced. And then, so I guess we'll then search for when did uh, seatbelt, when did seatbelt become law? Mandatory. 1968. So what is that, nine years? Yeah. About nine years. Nine years. So. And then from there. People didn't use seatbelts. As this says, uh, as recently right. as the 1980s, yeah. only about 10 percent of Americans yeah. wore seatbelts. Really? Yeah. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. So I'd be curious to see. So once, so once full self-driving tech, so once FSD gets out of beta, could is that nine-year timeline applicable to when? Um, regulators are going to force every automaker that builds a new car to have some sort of like level four or level five driving system in their cars, you know, or or at least some sort of self-driving technology that 
will reduce deaths by, I don't know, uh, 100% or not 100%, by 50% or 80%, right? Um, interesting to watch. Maybe maybe that is a, a parallel mm -hmm. we can draw to see when that would become a, a thing. Um, let's, uh, Hans, you want to kick us off with your topic and then... Um, and then we'll go from there. I'm gonna step away from for 30 seconds because I've been drinking fluids like crazy to get COVID out of my system, but I can still hear you. So uh, go ahead and kick us off. Cool. Yeah, the question that, or one of the questions that I've been thinking over recently that really ties into kind of where we started the episode today was just what are some of the most compelling missions that are out there, um, either well, either ones that have a company or an organization attached to them that exist that are not Tesla, SpaceX, Neuralink, or the Boring Company, like what are some of those existential level missions? Um, and yeah, and then if we want to take that a step further and just say, you know, any, how does one attach to such a mission in their own personal life and use it to either infuse meaning into their business, uh, their work, or whatever their personal pursuits are. Yeah. Hmm. Mike, do you do you have thoughts uh, off the cuff? Um, I do feel like a lot of companies have missions, but like they don't talk about them very often. It's not central. It's mm -hmm. like when you get hired, they're like, oh, watch this slideshow. And it, you know, on the first slide, it's like, our mission is to, you know, give people pet foods at amazing prices, amazing selection, whatever, you know? And it's like, okay, whatever, <laughs> and then they just move on mm -hmm. and they never talk about it again. It's not like something they drive home all the time. They're like, what about the mission? You know, what about the mission? Like people, like no one seems to care about it. So no one cares about it. You know, it's not, it's not something that's contagious. It's not like this bug in their head. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a good question. And I mean, it, it depends as to how macro or micro you, you, you look at it, because you could look at micro level missions that are, are super meaningful, right? Um, and you mm -hmm. don't have to go too far. Um, we're, we're currently involved in um, one of the largest, uh, it's the third largest hospital in the world. It's a, it's a public hospital here in, in South Africa. It's it's not far. It's in Johannesburg. It's not far from where we are, mm -hmm. and we've had an opportunity as a company to be involved in um, making some improvements, right? And kind of the scope's open ended, and it it's interesting because it's like okay, cool. We we can help within a certain context, help digitize a few things and so on. But but to your point, it's like well, we could really make this, and and that would be meaningful. But we could really elevate the, that mission and 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 i mean it's not hard to make a difference in many respects in this context right the, this this hospital serves tens of thousands of of people if not hundreds of thousands of people in a year that they are severely resource constrained um, you can make a massive difference to the lives of the staff within the hospital and as well as to to patients, right? By by saying, okay, I'm going to make this my mission, and um, so so I think there's a whole bunch of uh, more micro level non Tesla Garandios type missions that 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 are out there that 
whether it's, it's, it's in healthcare, whether it's improving an individual's life, whether it's, yeah, I mean, I think there's a, there's a whole spectrum. Uh, I don't know if your question relates more to the macro, like, you know, Tesla level type, type change, um, alpha fold, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. uh, m- machine learning protein prediction that will, uh, protein folding prediction that will help discover, you know, the, the cure to cancer and so on. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's a lot in the micro in uh, around us in terms of very meaningful missions that can improve the quality of people's lives. I yeah, wonder, I, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say that I think that that for probably for most people is one of the most important things to focus on at least first and then kind of build up possibly to something larger in the grand scheme of things is, you know, who's someone that I know who I can make a very positive, meaningful impact in their life in my circle around me as quickly as possible. And then, you know, cause it's so easy to have grand ambitions about how to do that, that are not grounded in reality. And so actually, a, getting the positive feedback of making that difference in someone's life quickly is very nourishing for both parties. And then also getting the feedback of like, you know, how do I actually do that? Because it's really hard. It's much, much harder than you would imagine. Yeah, there, there was a, let me highlight this comment actually just came through. So we dream too small and worry more about failure than envisioning success. Um, I think that's that's a very interesting and accurate comment. But I also think, you know, if we go sort of back to that initial discussion that, that you mentioned, but how, how much of this is just the brilliance of of the marketing of missions, you know, and that you need someone to really like, like, are we are we confident that uh, someone outside of Elon could have been able to uh, verbalize, say, Tesla's mission uh, and and really go as well as an Elon. I think Mike just lost his internet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, hopefully he's back soon. Um, and so does it become then, let me see if this view is better. Uh, which one do we want to do? Do we want to do this one or that one? What do you think? This one or that one? I think okay. that one. This one? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. this is that one. Um, I would, uh, feel like a deck of cards. <laughs> Ace of Spades. Okay. Um, the uh, how much of this really comes down to <laughs> somebody's freak, freaking out in the comments. Sorry. Um, how much of this is becoming a, um, a a lack of great mission marketers, and is that really what what's what's at the core of this whole thing? Is that uh, we don't have. Uh, enough folks, or we don't have uh, enough people that are really thinking about the core, the core as to why something is important, or uh, the core as to why we should be working on something. And is that because it's really difficult to do because of what DRK said, because we we dream too mm-hmm. small, you know, maybe, maybe we're not constantly thinking about or giving enough focus to the fact that um, there are much bigger things here that we should be working on and we should be thinking about. And we need to uh, uh, really, really make every action with that primary thing in mind and work on, on things with that primary thing in mind. Um, 
that's so that that's initially what what came to my mind is like okay so I think it, it might just come down to the fact that we don't have enough mission marketers or whatever you know we don't mm -hmm. have enough people out there that are willing to dream big and attach this grandiose thing to the thing that they're working on or trying to accomplish and feel comfortable to do so and also able to verbalize as to why it's important. And is that a skill that's required to make that happen? And is that a difficult skill to develop or have um, to, you know, to, to do that? Or do we just now have somebody with a blueprint in, in the case of Elon that's taught us how to do that and now we're going to see way more people capable of sort of, you know, uh, verbalize and market why a mission is important uh, for any either micro or macro level. That's how I think. About yeah, it. I think that ties into the conversation we were having earlier, and I would definitely agree. I think it's maybe important to distinguish between, you know, authentically marketing something and inauthentically marketing something. And I do feel like we will see it variations of both of those people that are like, okay, here's a mission that we believe people will get around. And so we're going to pour some slick spin and advertising and marketing know-how into making this compelling for people. Um, and that may be short-term successful, but probably not long-term successful. But then I think, you know, if you do the authentic mission discovery to find something that really is that compelling, and then you couple that with great storytelling and, you know, if you want to call it marketing, but getting that message out there, um, I think we will see more of that. And I think that's a big part of what the world needs more of. Well, so what uh, would think, be, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Chris. No, no, go ahead, please. Um, I, I think there's, yeah, I, I do think there's a, there, there, there is an absence of mission in many areas where there, there's, there's opportunity, but an opportunity to generally do good. And I'm, I'll relate that to my recent experience. Like, I'm kind of on a drive to become more energy efficient within our home and um, even looking at ways of getting to net zero CO2 emissions. Um, and it, it's been a very interesting journey. And, and obviously, well, obviously the, the biggest uh, consumer of energy is, uh, is heating, right? Heating and cooling within the home. And I, I've tried to look at ways to, to make our home more efficient in that respect from uh, hot water heating, for example. And you can go with a solar um, hot water heater or you can use a heat pump, which is a reverse air conditioner, right? Mm -hmm. And you can, and and it's surprising. And a, a heat pump is, in South Africa, generally people use a direct uh, electricity into heat directly, which is the most inefficient way to do it uh, from a cost and a CO2 perspective. If you use a heat pump, you get a benefit, a fourfold benefit. For every unit of energy you put in, you get four units of heat coming out, right? And so, so that's insane. G given that uh, hot water heating is typically 30% of your electricity bill, um, a heat pump will bring that down by uh, 75%. Yet, very few people know about the existence of heat pumps, right? It will pay back for mm -hmm. itself in two to three years. Not only that, but if you buy a heat pump to heat your water, the byproduct of that is cold air, which you can use for air conditioning. But the way it stands today, you need a separate air conditioning unit, um, which consumes an equivalent amount of, of electricity, of energy, right? And the two aren't combined. And I believe, uh, is it LG or, or Daikin offer some solution in Japan where they combine the two units? 
But to me, this is an industry. And clearly, one conclusion is, well, energy is still too cheap and the economic forcing function hasn't resulted in this type of innovation yet, hasn't mm. needed for these things to be combined. That innovation's not warranted because might as well buy an air conditioning unit and a heat pump unit. But back to vision, do you wait for the economic forcing function to make sense of it um, and only then respond reactively? Or do you put forward a vision that says we can lead and tr help transition the world to more energy efficient cooling and heating, right? And it seems like, again, no one's really stepping up to drive that other than Tesla. And mm -hmm. their HVAC solution, it's like, well, did Tesla really need to get into home HVACs? And not really, but no one else seems to be stepping up. So I think there's major scope there for companies to, to elevate their, 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 their missions. But again, at least from what I've seen, it's, it's, it's not happening, right? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. In, in, in energy is not that cheap. And I'm sure they've got far more efficient solutions. I, I was just reading the comment. Uh, far more efficient solutions there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They um, certainly have much, much better insulating in, in homes and so on, right? Yeah. Real quick, I want to give a shout out to uh, Chandra for the $10 super chat. Thank you very much. Very kind of you. Appreciate that. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. um, I think, yeah, I, I think that the, 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 the cost equation to important things being built is still almost a, a, an old way of thinking because, and, it, and it's very prevalent and it comes down to how much effort. So like the question becomes how much effort would somebody have to put into um, creating the solution that you just talked about, which is a very efficient uh, system, right? Uh, how much effort is required to do that and what's where? Where's the where's the juice from that squeeze, right? Mm -hmm. I think I think it's that mentality. I don't know if it's taught or it's just we're all <laughs> for some reason wired to do that. But what's is the uh, squeeze worth the juice? You know, um, mm -hmm. and and do we need more? It goes back to mission like like where, where is the person out there that's saying like this is so important like why aren't we working on this this mm -hmm. is so important to do because unless you have that person they're telling you that this is incredibly important to do and it's not only going to save money but it's going to make homes way more efficient which is going to open up um who knows some opportunities that we didn't think were there because mm -hmm. this technology could be used in different arenas and the money you save you could use for other things that could you know you have the snowball effect so, um, but, but how much effort is required and how much pain do we have to go through to make that happen? Um, and, and oftentimes I, I think, you know, how much does a human psychology play into the fact that these aren't things that are more obvious to people to work on, you know? Um, like for example, why aren't any of us doing that? <laughs> why, why aren't the three of us sitting down and creating that company, you know, that's going to make that happen? Um, and, and how much of that is human nature versus... Uh, maybe, maybe like, where is the importance of that thing in our priority list to make happen, you know? Um, but then the question becomes, oh, but there's 8 billion people on planet earth. You got to tell me at least there's one person out there <laughs> that's wanting to make this happen. You know, uh, I don't know. It, it's, it's a fascinating sort of thought exercise and it makes so much sense as to why it would be important to do, but like, like, but why, you know?
It does so take me back. Again. Sorry, go ahead, Hans. Oh, um, I was going to say it does take me back to Tim Urban's piece, the you know the chef and his secret sauce. Like the way that Elon Musk thinks about things is just completely different than what was just outlined. That he's like, okay, what is really important? What does the world need? And once he arrives at that thing, he's like, okay, now how do we shift the economic forcing function that is in place so that the result that we need is the natural outcome of the new economic forcing function that we create? He knew that the world was never going to transition to utilizing sustainable energy until the economic forcing function made that not only viable, but inevitable. Um, and I think that that's, it's brilliant to think about things in those ways. That's why he has become the richest part, you know, one of the richest people on earth now, I don't think, uh, today he is, but over time, it's pretty much inevitable that he will not only be the richest, but probably by orders of magnitude, the richest person on earth. And it, it's because he thinks in those ways. And so I think that's also a lesson that we should take is like, okay, what is the thing that we need? Okay, now how do we shift that economic forcing function? So that is what is produced. Um, and one of the scary things in thinking about starting a, a technology company that's focused on home heating and cooling is that Tesla's already out there and they've already signaled that that's something that they're open to doing in the future. And so if you're gonna do that, you have to know that you might actually be a head-to-head -head competitor with Tesla one day. And that's, you know, that's a scary proposition, both from a business execution standpoint, but also from a funding standpoint. Like, how do you get that business funded when someone's like, yeah, and Tesla's just waiting there to come in and eat your lunch? You know, it's a, a risk that becomes difficult for investors to to take, which is not to say that it won't happen, but like that's part of the calculus that gets played out so i would make the argument that if tesla is doing that product that you should totally get into that product because because it's a product that is 100 percent ripe for innovation and there's no other reason why tesla would get into it and and that means that the mm -hmm. your competitor is not really Tesla. it's it's like this whole thing with like the ev market right like tesla's competition isn't really other EV makers, it's the entire auto industry. So it's not mm -hmm. it's not 1% of the market, it's 100% of the market. So that means you have a gigantic pie to draw from. So for example, in the case of HVACs or, or whatever, cooling and heating for the home or whatever, like if Tesla actually comes out with the product, the signal that I get from there says, okay, if I had the resources and really the effort to want to start a, a, that, a competing company to Tesla, then I should do it now because mm. that entire market is going to get disrupted and it's going to be impossible for Tesla to have a hundred percent market. Well, I say that, I mean, you think monopoly mm -hmm. laws kick in, right? Yeah. Um, uh, so that tells me that I have a brand, I have, I have a, a ton of ability to get into that market. That's why Rivian and Lucid and all these other companies I think mm -hmm. are much more better positioned to uh, become bigger players in that market than say a Ford or a GM. So in this case, any sort of old school HVAC company or cooling and heating company is gonna be, I think, much more um, susceptible to failing than a brand new player into the market. Anyway, I just wanted to jump on that because I, I think, like when does Tesla become a signal for people to start companies in those industries? 
You know, it's mm-hmm. it's a, like, and how many other industries are gonna, are they going to get into as they become bigger? You know, I, I've long thought that Tesla, say twenty years from now, they're going to be making a lot of things, like anything that requires a battery or is uh, part of energy in some way, uh, or something that's required for Mars in, in some way. I think Tesla's going to get into, and so like I wonder, like, okay, so does that become a does that mm-hmm. become a signal f- for somebody to start a company in that uh, industry anyway? Fazad, uh, to me, that sounds like you propositioning us to join you to start up an HVAC. <laughs> <laughs> I have zero, I have zero intention to do that. At least right now, I really like this sort of like relaxed. Uh, get to yeah. you know go on YouTube and talk to you guys. I, I, this is really fun. I don't want to give it up. I don't want to, you know, that whole thing that Elon talks about, you know, chewing glass and. Uh, staring into abyss is what it takes to start a company. Yeah, it's I don't mm-hmm. want that right now. At least not right now. But <laughs> yeah, um, we'll give it a couple more minutes here on this topic. Uh, we'll do. You guys comfortable with the Q and A at the end here for the last fifteen minutes or so? You guys, uh, we'll ask the yeah. Yeah. section. Cool. Yeah. So if you're in the comments, uh, drop your questions in the comment section below. We'll we'll tackle the few of them here. Uh, let us know what what you're interesting interested in us uh, answering. But um, yeah, any other any other thoughts here before we wrap up the topic? You piqued my interest now, Farzad. I kind of want to pin you to the wall for a second. Okay. What would it take? <laughs> what would it take for you to want to eat glass and stare into the abyss? Oh man. It has to go back to. It's the mission. Like how 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 important does that thing have? Like it has to pass the threshold of something being um, really important for me to take on. So the reason why I, I I went to Tesla and I was willing to put in the hours and the effort was because I thought the the uh, effort would be worth it because I'm actually making a difference. You know, there's actually there's actually a difference that I'm making here, uh, and and. Like, honestly, as I think about, you know, because I've been out of Tesla for what, the last nine months now? It's been nine, 10 months since I left Tesla. And, you know, I'm constantly thinking about, okay, so like this YouTube thing is, like this YouTube thing is is super relaxed and and I really enjoy doing it. And there is a lot of... um, uh, great things that come with that, you know, because again, it's, mm-hmm. it's not making me money really. It's, it's, it's a few a couple bucks here and there, but I'm doing this for fun. I'm not doing this for money. I'm doing this for fun. Okay. Um, but I do sometimes think about, okay, so what do, what, what would be required for me to put those hours back in, you know? And right now I think the, the, the thing that I'm really hung up on is what, what's the thing that's going to pick like pique my interest for me to get back into it. And I don't think I've, I've found that yet. Like, and I don't know if it's ever going to come, to be honest. Sometimes I wonder, mm-hmm. like, was Tesla the peak for me? Like, was that it? And it does, am I just, uh, the rest of my life, I'm just going to have a more relaxed sort of, um, you know, I, I tell you one thing that has been sort of coming in, into mind lately is I think there is, the, the one thing, it, it, part of the inspiration as to why this whole community forum started in the first place was the lack of open discourse and just sharing ideas and bouncing off of each other. Now, granted, this is on, on, a, on a Tesla community level and we're all sort of mm-hmm. fans of the company, but th- there is a dire need for 
open communication. And there's a dire need for uh, opposing people to sit down and talk about ideas freely and openly uh, and sort of trying to bridge this polarization thing that we've got going on here as a society. That's becoming a bigger interest for me. That's becoming something that I'm, I'm becoming much more interested in. And I've had passing thoughts of now that I've had sort of exposure to YouTube and I've had exposure to becoming however small, but part of media or whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. um, that's starting to pique my interest. And it's becoming something that I've maybe, maybe, maybe I would want to, you know, chew glass and stare into the abyss to help make society closer and help make society capable of having open discourse, you know? Um, like one of the thoughts I had is maybe this channel at some point I could turn it into something where literally like opposing people come on and we just have an open debate for three, four hours. And, and I'll moderate the discussion, mm -hmm. but we'll get, I don't know, freaking Ben Shapiro and whoever, or Jordan Peterson and whoever, or Elon and whoever, like whoever. Mm -hmm. Like, come on here, we'll talk for four hours and we'll freaking get to the bottom of it. And we'll, we'll create it into a big community uh, sort of thing. Um, th that's past, my, my, that's past my, my thought process a little bit. And that, that's very fundamental, mm -hmm. right? It goes back to that civilization thing. And, and Elon taking on Twitter, I think it's going to be very important to follow because of, I wonder what that platform is going to be for that. And so mm -hmm. is there a way for me to sort of figure out how to make that happen within that context? But, but if it's, but again, it's like, for me, it's like, okay, cool. But A, am I going to be capable of doing it? And there needs to be like a, a path, a runway for me to see, like, I need to see mm -hmm. that, that runway. I need to see that pathway for me to get to where I need to go. Like I always make decisions based on that. And I think that's one of my strengths is that I can see the runway. I'm good at seeing the runway. But right now, I don't see that runway clearly, but it's starting to pique my interest. So long-winded answer, but that's... Yeah. No, that's I resonate with that. Um, I feel like, you know, given if, if we assume that Elon will be successful in helping to preserve the light of consciousness and that we do become a species that spreads out among the stars, the question that... I ask is, okay, who will we be then? And, you know, what, what sort of humanity is that? And what can we do to improve the, the quality of humanity itself? Um, so that as we go and explore the stars that we're doing so in a way that, you know, makes not only our world better, but the universe better, um, hopefully. And I think that's kind of the un, the unanswered question. But I, I think that discourse is a major, like I, I don't think people appreciate the importance of free speech and it is dangerous. Um, and there do need to be boundaries and limits put in place, but it's also important to bring things into the light and not to, not to hide things and, um, you know, a closed Overton window in public discourse is a very significant societal threat. And so having places and platforms where we can really dig into those issues, I think, is incredibly and existentially important. And, uh, yeah, I haven't I think I've kind of landed on the same conclusion over the last few years and haven't yet. Like you said, 
figured out, charted what's the path forward from here to there and what part can I play in that? Yeah. 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 I think, I think the YouTube exposure sort of like me getting more familiar with it, I think sort of was the thing that, that allowed me to even think it was a possibility for me to even start thinking about <laughs> if that makes any sense. Like, I don't think I would have ever thought I could ever even think about becoming part of that at some point, but, um, who knows? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, th th we're just thinking out loud here. So, um, real quick, I want to give Chandra another uh, heads up. Thank you again for the $5 super chat. Appreciate you. I'm involved with the art of living, the teacher breathing technique that creates sustainable happiness on the level of the in on individual humans. That's awesome. I actually, I found that when I, when I, every time mm -hmm. I've, my, my anxiety was more severe, I thought, uh, breathing exercises were very helpful. Uh, for sure. And I think getting more oxygen to your body is always a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Seems like a very good thing to do. But um, all right, let's get into a couple questions here before uh, we wrap it up. Again, if you do have any questions, uh, definitely drop them in the comment section below. Um, oh, we got Mike. Looks like he has enough internet mm -hmm. to uh, post some comments. I don't think he's got enough internet to jump back on. Uh, what excites you most about the future? Who wants to take this one off first? I'll let Hunt go go first. Oh, <laughs> or Fasan, maybe you, you should do you should do it. Do, do you have an answer? Yeah. I can do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think for me, it's I, I really do think we're going towards a future where um, I don't know. Like, it, it's I think we're going to be more connected in some way. I think I think the advent of the internet um, becoming super accessible to the world through Starlink in some way I think is a is a real possibility. So you know you're gonna have what half the world's population right now is, doesn't really have or like three billion people I forget what the number is, but there there is a sizable number of humans that don't have access to the internet. Okay. And the internet is where things happen, it seems like, nowadays, right? Everything mm -hmm. happens on the internet. So what does the future look like when 100% of humanity is on the internet? You know, and what are, what are the things that these 3 billion people that are alive and have lived a very specific life come on and they um, build companies, share ideas, uh, create art, Right. That that's very exciting to me because I think it's going to introduce a, a level of humanity, uh, like another layer of humanity that um, I think a, lo a lot of us never really think about um, and we don't have exposure to. And I'm really curious to see what how that changes the dynamic of humanity um, in the next, say, 20 years. Um, I do firmly believe in the next 20 years, a, a probably one to two billion more people are going to come on the internet. And I don't know, I just, I just feel like that's going to create a lot of really awesome positive things. Now, there's probably going to be some negative things attached to that as well. You know, you never have 100% positive things from that. But it does seem like it's going to be a net positive. And I'm really excited to see what that looks like. Like, you know, um, mm -hmm. yeah, so that, that's I've been thinking about that a lot. But yeah, that's what I'm most excited about. What about you guys? 
Yeah, for, from my side, look, I, I love technology, and, and so I, I'm super excited about the different areas that technology is going to have a positive impact, right? So that that's kind of, yeah, whether it's, it's going to be full self-driving or t- Tesla bots or, um, uh, you, you know, solar energy, battery storage, cost of energy going down, um, creating the abundance of, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, an, uh, an abundance economy. So that that is exciting, but I suppose I want to be more optimistic about the human factors that 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 come with that. Right? Um, I I haven't imagined that enough, and and I don't know what the possibilities are, but w- what it means for how humanity can evolve. And if I want to be optimistic about it, it's it's really that. Um, yeah, I think humanity's consciousness can be elevated, not not in terms of expanding to Mars, but in terms of empathy and understanding. And and you know, I'm I'm certainly hoping that, re, you know, the reduction of resource scarcity can, along with a whole bunch of other things, can start creating humanity that has a higher level of consciousness and connection. Right. Um, Resource scarcity or, or the, the removal of resource scarcity is not sufficient for that, right? It's not sufficient for wars to go away and so on, but mm-hmm. I certainly think it's a necessary condition, um, along with uh, better connectivity, as you said, uh, of, of different sorts. But yeah, I, I, I'd want to get a lot more excited about the possibilities that that will bring about getting people closer together and connecting as humans. I think those are great answers. The, I mean, a lot of the time that I have spent recently has really been focused on like, what are the, what are the risks kind of pent up in the system? And I, I see a lot. And so I think my default position at this point is not to be very excited about the future, but actually to be quite concerned about um, the likely scenarios that um, could really come and bite us in the butt. That said, um, we do seem to be pretty resilient. And um, I think that there's the one thing that I do kind of fall back on is for me as a person of faith, I think that there is kind of a cosmic force that does watch out for our best interests and keep us from extinguishing ourselves. Um, And so, you know, with that assumption, I am excited for what might be on the other side of whatever difficult things and transitionary periods that we're gonna be in store for. That as we struggle through, you know, what does it look like for billions of people to be connected on the internet? And yeah, there's some uh, growing pains in going through that process. You know, what does it look like on the other side of that? And are we able to live in a world where we're much more connected and empathetic um, and able to eliminate a lot of the really immense human suffering and tragedy that we see in the world. And uh, yeah, I spend a lot of time looking at really hard things. And so I guess hopeful that we can get you know, really good progress in, in some of those areas. Got it. Um, but in the short term, for, for Sarah, I'm excited about the possibility of you bringing in Tesla 
uh, bears on on your channel and having yes. meaningful discussions yeah. on that because I do think there's opportunity to elevate those discussions yeah. to, to a higher level and not to argue about you know we think Tesla's the answer but we think Tesla's the answer because of a value system right and mm-hmm. and good to go up that value system with the Tesla bears like do you care about the 34 million deaths a year well yes I do okay cool let's not assume Tesla's the answer but let's explore your thinking as to what you think the answer is. And I think in that type of approach, you can, uh, yeah, I think expose a lot more and create more connection. I agree 1000%. And I'm very excited for that as well. Actually, uh, Ahmed and Matt had a, a, a gentleman on their uh, show on Good Soil. It was a few weeks ago. I forget his name. I, I think, I want to say it's Mike. I, I'm probably wrong. But um, uh, they had a really Drew good Dixon. Dis- Drew Dixon. Thank you very much. <laughs> Um, yeah, and uh, it was an excellent discussion. I asked him if he wanted to come on, and he actually said that he didn't have the bandwidth to come on. But um, yeah, I, I'm going to explore bringing on um, bears that are willing to have an open discussion for sure. I think sometimes I think we'll have, uh, yeah, definitely. I, I'm going to look into mm-hmm. that. I think it, I agree with you 100%. That question you just asked is a brilliant question because it really helps you understand, okay, what lens are you viewing this company right you know exactly like and, and can we get lens? alignment on the value system first right do do, yeah. do you care about the environment and and co2 emissions yes okay cool well, well what is your narrative around how to solve it right and yeah. and i think that's a much better common starting point for sure 100 mm-hmm. um complete opposite question of what was just asked what scares you about the future um and i, I can kick this one off i think and i've been open about this on my channel I think with with the age of uh, plenty, and with the age of um, uh, you know automation and robotics and AI, where you're going to have robots and systems that are going to be able to produce uh, a lot of things for really really cheap theoretically, you know, uh, my fear, the thing that scares me the most is uh, a an inability of governments and society to ensure that everyone has access to it and not just a few, right? So, and I've been thinking about this a lot. So the technological aspect of um, having uh, Tesla bots making things or, um, or um, you know, I, I don't know, every, every single business that you can think of is, is likely to be much more automated in 20 years or even 40 years time than they are now. And what does that mean from a job market perspective? Um, you know, I think a lot of people say, well, you know, the, the, the economy will kind of fix itself and sort of a, the invisible hand will lead people to new opportunities or whatever in the economy. But we've never really had the level of automation we're going to get from AI and robotics. So that's one thing that scares me like crazy. Um, in, in a situation where we're gonna have a lot of people, a lot of companies creating a lot of things for, for uh, apparently super, super cheap or even for free, who's gonna get access to those things? Are we actually gonna have it available for everybody or just a few? Um, uh, so, so things along these lines, I, I think about a lot. I think, I think there's gonna be a transitional period between when these technologies truly take hold and potentially where we could be from a societal perspective where we will have 
everything we've ever wanted that and it really frees up our time to go after the things that are truly most important to us. I think the, the, there's a potential that transitional period is going to be uh, apocalyptic in some way, <laughs> potentially, mm -hmm. but <clears throat> excuse me, I, that's just me thinking about it now. That could change as time goes along. And I think I think there's gonna we're gonna have to have people, in my opinion, in the level of uh, Elon or somebody like him uh, or people like like him that are altruistic and in some way uh, are willing to create an environment where ensuring everyone has access to these things is is the norm instead of uh, instead of it being some sort of uh, you know economic um, I don't know incentive that would allow somebody to make that decision so. That that what makes that makes that has me very scared for the future. But mm -hmm. um, I think we can solve it. It's just I don't know how. I don't know how we do it, and I think that's maybe what's got me the most scared. But that's my answer to that. Hans, you go think? ahead. It sounds like this is your speciality, so you can have my airtime <laughs> on this one. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think one of the uh, there's a host of them. One of the big ones is just seems blatantly obvious that we have a lack of wisdom in positions of governance. So if you couple that with the increasing amount of technology that we have, whether it's weaponized or not, but specifically weaponized, you know, I, throughout history, every time we've had technological advances, those have been unleashed in violence on people. And we haven't seen that since World War II with the A-bomb to a, a degree that's you know, on a large scale. And I don't see the wisdom of the people in governance that we have being able to forestall that indefinitely. So the question is when um, and, and on what scale and, and with what specific technologies and weapons. So that's, you know, that's pretty scary. There are definitely apocalyptic scenarios there, whether they're nuclear wars or, um, you know, drones or and, and you know a lot of people might argue that we've moved into a digital age where there will be conflict but it will be primarily digital conflict and i i hope that that's the case and that it doesn't result in direct violence um but it's historically unprecedented and and we'll just have to see how that plays out so that's that's one of the big ones and the other one is just looking at societally um my wife and i are foster parents and so we are kind of first-hand witnesses to a lot of broken families and the results that that produces and just how hard it is to produce healing and change for for people who have come from very difficult backgrounds um and so you know, regardless of what happens on a macro scale, just all of those micro stories are pretty, pretty heartbreaking and trying to figure out, you know, how do we, it, the world is kind of in the best place that it's ever been on that front. Um, and the, the problem is still so intractable. And so it's easy to feel helpless and hopeless, you know, on that front. But I don't think that we are. And maybe that would be the one thing where I would go back and say that's that's one of the things that I'm most hopeful for um, about the future is that the things that we're learning about consciousness and neurology um, are giving us so many insights on how we can actually create healing um, 
not just individual, but we can actually understand the mechanics of how we work in order to allow people to heal from those things in a systematic way. Um, Interesting. Want to give it a shot, or I'm I'm good. I think that, that there's a lot to 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 be worried about. Um, I think it's important to remain optimistic, not blindly so. Uh, but but yeah, there's uh, I think mm-hmm. yeah, there's enough on covered on this topic. Okay, very good. Uh, we'll do one more just to see if we can end on a little bit more positive note. <laughs> uh, um, there was one that I saw that was actually kind of interesting. Uh, it was about dying on Mars. And uh, let me see. Where are you? Sarah, give me one second, guys. Uh, I lost it. Okay. So I think the question was, um, I think the question was, would you actually be willing to die on Mars? And I guess what would it take for you to die on Mars? Like, is that something you're willing to do? Or is that a, a question for uh, mm-hmm. another time? What do you guys think? So, so yeah, I'll, I'll give my answer. It's, it's been something I've been thinking a lot about. And look, I think if I was younger, I, uh, it would be a no brainer. I'd, I'd be more adventurous. It would be, you know, I've got a family, we're settled. So it just changes your perspective, right? So the, the appeal, like put it this way, even though I'm an aerospace engineer, the, the, the appeal of what Tesla's doing, just just based on my temperament, where I am now in my life stage, is far more meaningful to me than what SpaceX and Mars is doing. It doesn't mean it's it's not meaningful, but 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 Tesla's more dominant. And so so the the, the appeal of going to Mars is um 50-50 for me at this stage. Um I do have back issues, so I often wonder in Mars, on Mars, it must be awesome, right? Like if you <laughs> Mars that out, like no, no problem, right? So, so that would be a major benefit, and right now might be probably the dominant driver if I were to ever say, yeah, let, let me go and, and die on Mars. <laughs> Hans, what do you think? I think it would be interesting. It would definitely require a change in my life situation. Um, because I'm definitely not going without my wife and she's definitely not going. So, but I think, yeah, being there, being some of the first settlers, um, that would be, that would be really cool. It would be really hard, but life is hard anyways. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm on the same boat as you guys. I think for me, it's, I, I, I don't, I think it would be, I would love to visit it, but I would like to come back. Uh, and die here. And I, I think it's because I, I feel a lot of connection to this place because this is really all we've known. And I, I do, my interests are in solving what, what's going on here. I think I think if maybe I was uh, conditioned or had some sort of uh, maybe, um, I don't know, if maybe I was wired in a different way that I wanted to solve for the next generation of humans or for the next frontier, it would be a different question, and I think there is a percentage of population that is definitely willing to do that, and that's why we we had, uh, you know, <laughs> human beings, you know, sort of uh, end up in the in the entire planet at some point, you know, mm-hmm. through uh, just moving around and, and going to new places. Now, uh, one would argue that the reason we went to those places was because they were more habitable than the places we were at before, in some way, or they were they had better opportunity. 
versus the Mars equation seems a little bit opposite, where we're going to Mars knowing it's worse. <laughs> so I'm curious to see how that plays out. Um, but yeah, I want to I want to die on Earth, but I would love to visit Mars at some point. I'm hoping I can go there, even if it's just to help, you know, for like say uh, six mm-hmm. to eight months or whatever, or two years even. Uh, I forget how. I think the, the transit win- windows every two years. I go over there for two mm-hmm. years and uh, sacrifice myself. Um, but uh, let's see how it goes first with other people. <laughs> and then once we know it's like at a certain safety level, you know, say it's at like 98% or something, then maybe, maybe I'll want to do it. And, but to your point, Hans, I got to convince the wife and we haven't talked about it. Yeah. I'm, I'm not just sure if she's game for it. So if she says no, forget it. We're not going to Mars. So, yeah. All right. Um, two hours and 10 minutes. I think this is a record for our uh for our channel so thank you all very much for joining thank you andreas thank you hans for jumping on thank you mike sorry that we lost you on the, on the internet but uh thank you for jumping mm-hmm. on thank you everybody in the comments obviously if you enjoyed the content like subscribe all that good stuff but um we do these every friday next week we'll have Emmett peppers on as a special guest uh, uh i'm sure you guys have heard of him and he's going to be on with us talking about the topics that the community wants to talk about and from this point forward i'm going to try to have um uh, a guest or somebody that we can sit down with and pick their brain that tesla bear thing would be amazing to do here uh soon mm-hmm. i think that's going to be super super awesome but yeah very excited to uh continue these moving forward and thank you all once again for joining us uh and we'll see you on the next one thank bye, you everybody. thanks all bye